All right, it is time to get this show on the road. Somebody do something. God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Coming to you live from high atop the EMR Tower, in beautiful downtown Decatur, Georgia, center of the known universe. Thence, 23,300 miles directly into outer space this week, affiliates SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fluted plane to our vast EMR radio network. This week, 331 stations plus. That's just the way it is. The island of Guam. Speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. And we are glad to have you along on this special edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break. I remain unbossed and unbought. Speaking truth to power and committed to truth, justice, and the American way of making money. And let not your heart be troubled, for I am here. In fact, as long as I'm here, it doesn't matter where here is. First, a special thank you to some of our sponsors this week. Your quote of the week. Margie, is this going out? Yes. Oh, good. Hi. Uh, your quote of the week this week is from founder Thomas Jefferson, who, as we find out, turns out to be a human being. Uh, but the good news is, he said, the democracy, and he was referring to the great experiment of the United States. The democracy will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not. Folks, why in the world do you think we have uh, 10 million empty jobs that we can't fill and a, a population of millions who have decided to quit looking for work because they are receiving as much as they need and they just don't care anymore. Many people have just dropped out of the labor force altogether. Also, we're being sponsored this week by a new sponsor, Home Meteorite Shield. Protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. 
Now, this is only $14.95 a month. You say, wait a minute, John, do I actually need home meteorite shield? Well, look at the picture on your screen right now. That is an actual photograph of a meteorite striking somewhere in on, on the planet Earth. I don't know how they took that picture, but it's remarkable. Look at this. The risk of a comet hitting the Earth is greater than previously thought, say researchers. Monitoring of space objects should include giant centaurs that could rain down debris for thousands of years. You hear this? And the so Russia, just this past week, Russia sent up something that released hundreds of pieces of space junk. What do you think happens to space junk? Do you think on Monday morning, the trucks come by in outer space and pick it up and take it to Mars? No, it stays there until it falls out of orbit and begins targeting homes of those of us in North America. Why, you may ask, would a meteorite target a home in North America? Can you think of a more prestige? If you were a meteorite, wouldn't you want to hit a home in North America? Look at this actual photograph. This is Ann Hodges of Sylacauga, Alabama in November 1954. A police officer is standing by to verify she is holding a meteorite that came through her ceiling. And she did not have home meteorite shield or she would have been protected. So here's this actual NASA photo of the meteorite entering the Earth's atmosphere above Sylacauga, Alabama. And it could be you just as easily next time. So you can protect yourself for only $14.95 a month. Call me now with your credit card at 404-373-6000. We're also sponsored, all kidding aside, this week by Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage Solutions, our gold sponsor today. Uh, if you have any questions about mortgage lending, or if you just want to call and say, it's too damned expensive, Peter. That's fine. He'll take your calls at 678-557-9759. Our own real estate coffee break mortgage expert, Peter Burke, is standing by. And that should bring the question to you is, who am I and why should you listen to me? Well, the first uh, reason is I've been a property manager. We're going to be talking about real estate today. You're money and your real estate. I've been doing this for a long time. I've never been arrested and I have never um, been jailed. I have never been bankrupt. And so I must be doing something right. I am an investor and an entrepreneur. Now that's different than being an agent or a, a, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, or somebody who's looking to get rich quick. Um, I have unusually combined the fields of real estate investing with the field of being a realtor. Now, 
anybody who is a licensee of the Georgia Real Estate Commission is licensed. That does not mean they are a member of a trade union called the National Association of Realtors, of which I happen to be a member. And they're a fine group of people, but you can't be a member of the realtors unless you are a licensee and uh, place your license with a broker that is also a member. Um, realtors have a tendency to focus primarily on commissions as a source of income. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's fine. However, the real money in real estate is not in acting as a broker or a salesperson. The real money is in owning it. That's what makes me an investor and an entrepreneur. I happen to think being a realtor is a very good way to become an investor. Most realtors disagree. Although they might agree, they're not doing it. Um, I've been licensed since 77. I've had no complaints so far. Never been arrested, never been bankrupt. Wrote a book called The Landlord Survival Guide. <sighs> And most of all, I'm an Eagle Scout. That makes me trustworthy. Okay. So let's do some housekeeping right quick. Please turn off your cell phone. Get out of other computer programs. Put your questions in the Q&A. If you'll right now take your cursor and go to the bottom of your screen, you will find, very likely, a control panel, and one of your options is Q&A. Please use Q&A for everything. We're going to do about a 45-minute presentation. I'm going to take your questions uh, as they appear in Q&A. Please do not use chat because I won't see it. All I see is Q&A. And the, we will have a recording of this program in its entirety available probably later today at realestatecoffeebreak.com. Okay, please use Q&A, not chat. So if you have a question or a comment or any ideas that you'd like us to talk about, Ian will be joining me uh, before long. Uh, these are some goals. I thought we'd do a quick goal review before we get started. In this was actually from the first week of February, or as we like to say in Decatur, February. I know, I know. F-E-B-R-U-A-R-Y. February. Anyway. Um, we had three goals we talked about that I wanted you to implement for this year. This is a good time for a quick review. This is not the final exam, but this is sort of a snap quiz, pop quiz. Uh, stay occupied. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you've lost a lot of money. Margie. Oh, sorry. Number one goal this year, stay occupied. And collect your rent. 
And in, in February, I said, or now try to evict. Now you can evict. There are no federal or state or any kind of enforceable rules against dispossessory actions in Georgia. And the judges that I've run into have had it. They're sick and tired of not being allowed to do their job, which is to adjudicate and rule on dispossessory filings. And they're wanting to get through them, and they are, and they're getting caught up. So that's number one. Did you do that so far this year? You've got, what, a month to go. Number two, have you boosted income and lowered your expenses at all levels? Number one should be pretty easy for you. Time to raise the rent. Number two may be difficult. And the reality is everything is more expensive. We are seeing broad-based price increases at almost all levels. When a two-by-four costs more than it, twice what it did a year ago, uh, you can say all you want. Well, it's sitting in a container off Santa Barbara. We'll make them go 24-7. That'll work. Uh, I, you know, I realize it's not working. I understand that a sheet of plywood costs twice today what it did a year ago, maybe three times, but we got to get by folks. And I just want you to watch your expenses because they will creep up on you if you don't watch them. Number three, and your final goal, borrow as much as you can for as long as you can. And my question to you is, have you set in place a strategic financial plan? Have you said, wow, we are right now at a deflection point. Did you hear that word that I used? A, a phrase, a deflection point. And a deflection point is where something is going to change. And what's going to change, I'm telling you, is the cost of borrowing money. And right now, you still have an opportunity in the next 30 days, I believe, to borrow and talk with someone about your overall liquidity position. And this would be a good conversation for you to give yourself for Christmas. And I would encourage you to think about locking in as much debt as you can comfortably do on a long-term basis and using that money to liquidate more expensive debt or to invest at a higher return. Because I believe, and I think I've proven now, that you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 little rental houses. You don't need a, a, a set of 100 office buildings. Let the insurance companies have that. You don't need um, 12,800 rentals in Atlanta. Let Invitation Homes do that. Why don't you shoot for eight or 10? You'll be fine. 
So our topics today, well, we're not even going to talk about CDC. Hmm, this video is unavailable. That's not good. Let's see here what's happening. No, no, you didn't. That's right. Margie says she didn't do it, and nobody saw her do it, and I can't prove anything. Let's do this. Let's go to 41 and try that, and we'll just sort of start. Ooh, I like this. Okay, here, 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 here. Zip. Um, it is November the 20th, and let me tell you something before we get to our little video here. I want to remind everybody that you should begin thinking now about frozen and broken water pipes because it is incredibly expensive if you end up with a frozen or broken water pipe and it can happen so easily, especially in older homes that may not be as well insulated. Um, Consumer Reports makes the following suggestions. And you should copy these. And if you'll send me an email, I'll send you a copy of this, or you can get it off the replay. But you should um, send these tips out to your tenants and remind them that if there are frozen or broken water pipes and they did not follow these guidelines, they are responsible. So what are we talking about? Keep the garage doors closed especially if there are water supply lines in the garage. Open kitchen and bathroom cabinet doors to allow warmer air to circulate. Now look for sinks or water sources that are on an exterior wall. That's where you're most likely to have a problem. By the way, if you have small children, be sure to remove any cleaners or chemicals that they should not get into. Number three, let the cold water drip from a faucet served by exposed pipes. Running water through the pipe, even at a trickle, helps prevent pipes from freezing. Keep the thermostat set to the same temperature during day and night. Remember, this is not the right time to set back the thermostat to save a couple of bucks on your heating bill. And I've had tenants do that. You need to remind them they have an obligation to leave the heat on. If you have tenants that are going to leave town, they need to let you know, and you need to tell them specifically, do not turn down the heat because we may have a cold snap. If you plan to be away during cold weather, leave the heat on in your home set no lower than 55 degrees and add insulation to attics, basements, crawl spaces, blah, blah, blah. So those are some real good ideas. And uh, I want to remind you, our sponsor this week is Peter Burke, who you can reach at 678 557 97 59. And I'm going to be talking with Peter right now. So stay tuned. And we're back here on the real estate coffee break. I'm John Adams, and I'm thrilled to introduce our very special guest, our own mortgage financing expert, Peter Burke. Hello, Peter. How are you, sir? Hello, John. Hello, everyone out there. Happy Saturday to you. 
you know, it's always a Saturday to me has always been a great day. And I usually work on Saturday, but it doesn't matter. Somehow it just has a magic ring to it. I, I, what can I say? I love Saturdays. The question comes up, Peter, that I want to deal with today. If someone is only going to save maybe a quarter of a percent, is it worth the effort and the agony and the pain? Is there any agony? Is there pain and cost of refinancing? Because I know you've got clients that refinanced maybe a couple of years ago when rates were maybe only one or 2% higher. At what point is it no longer worth it? That's my question for you. So, um, folks, we're going to talk about it here in just a second. But my advice for you is to pick up the phone and call Peter at 678-557-9759. So, Peter, I hear experts on the network news, not me, of course, saying that refinancing is really not worth it unless you drop your interest rate by at least a half a point or at least 1%. What say you, sir? You gotta go through the analysis and look at what the savings are, what the costs are, what the overall interest differential that you're either going to save um and you said something it's a pain it's not really a pain for someone it's a pain for me to analyze it although i kind of enjoy it in some instances um i can uh when i say it doesn't make sense it does and sometimes it's the other way but it's an exercise that's uh, worthy of going through and then determining should you do it or not after looking at the numbers make it a decision driven by data as opposed to a decision that's more emotional. Well, it, it well spoken and, and it's interesting to me, having been through this with you several times, um, there's a lot of moving parts. This is not just a, are we gonna save $10 a month for 12 months a year? I mean, there's, there's so many different factors and I would venture to say very few people are qualified uh, to go through that entire process. But um, would you agree that refinancing for even a quarter point, 0.25% for a lower rate would be worth it? And I've got five ifs here, okay? If number one, you're switching from an adjustable rate mortgage to a fixed rate, Peter? Uh, absolutely, because it's going to continue to adjust and uh, it's possible we're in an era where for the next few years, when those adjustables hit their annual anniversary date, they will continue to go up. We've been blessed with probably the last 10 or 15 years where we haven't seen those adjustments. And um, it's, it's, it, the tables are turning here. I have an adjustable rate mortgage that um, I'm curious to see what the new rate will be in March um, to decide what I want to do. But I suspect um, it, it will increase. Well, it's interesting to me. I have lived through uh, the pandemic was my, I believe, my sixth recession. 
As you know, I got into the business right after the Civil War, been active ever since, and uh, I've seen interest rates uh, go up and down, but all kidding aside, when I started, 30-year fixed rates were at 17%. Yeah. And we were selling loans with um, um, reverse amortization where the balance went up for the first six years, which was just crazy. And and people were had these massive pit. Today we have gotten so spoiled, and and I just think it's important to recognize. I don't think this is going to last indefinitely. I don't have a crystal ball, but I the the signs I'm hearing say that at some point we're going to have to get to some more traditional rate structures. You think that's right or wrong? I believe so. I mean, all everything you look at is is increasing, and we're going to see long term rates increase, and we're going to see those those adjustables that are out there, whatever their index is, you're going to start to see them moving up. Okay, refin. That's number one. Refinancing might make sense if you currently have a large loan balance. Why is the size of the loan a factor? I mean, isn't a, a quarter of a percent, a quarter of a percent? It's a quarter percent on a $500,000 loan versus a quarter percent on a $100,000 loan. It's more interest. Oh, it's five times as much. So the yeah. larger the loan, the more important you the, the decision is. And um, do people even make 30-year loans under 100000 anymore? Does anybody do that? Yeah, we we can. We can. There isn't much there isn't much of a demand, but if it came our way, yeah. Okay, it's hard to believe. Anyway, uh the higher your current balance, the greater the benefit you will experience. So that that makes sense to me. You might be uh, you you might want to consider refinancing if number 3, you can refinance to consolidate high interest debts. Peter, what are some examples? Well, there's credit cards if you've got a balance on it, um, automobile loans. If you bought a used car and financed it, you didn't get the manufacturer's 0 0.9, you got right. the, the bank 5.5% uh, or something. So that may be it. And there's one that I overlooked that's not on there, but your home equity line of credit, which are uh, tied to prime usually and um i haven't seen what prime is doing but i suspect it's going up and and, and that so will, is, that will remain an adjustable um um average won't it yeah i mean unlike a, a an adjustable rate first mortgage where it changes once a year an interest only uh, uh, uh interest uh, a HELOC is tied to prime as it changes. Right. There were periods where prime changed two or three times in one month over the last uh, yeah. 20 years, 25 years. So yes, if you've got a home equity line of credit that you used to consolidate debt or to buy a car or to buy a boat or to put a roof on a house or to enclose, you know, to fix to, to finish your basement, look at what that balance is and um, be aware that it's it's um, variable rate interest. 
Got it. And you and let, let's just look at a quick example here, and you can comment on it. Just assume somebody owes $500,000 at a 4.5% rate. The monthly P&I payment is $2,533. They may have private mortgage insurance, private mortgage insurance on top of that, which would be an additional $250, total monthly $2,783. If they call you and you refinance them at four and a quarter, it's going to reduce the total monthly payment to $2,459, saving that person $324 a month. That is substantial. And what's very interesting is um, you'd be surprised when you ask a borrower, hey, I need your latest monthly mortgage statement. And we look at it and say, do you know you've been paying PMI for the last 42 months? And they say, oh, yeah, but they don't know it. And that's that's a number that we can uh, remove with a refinance because the value of the home has gone up. MGIC, Mortgage Guarantee Insurance Corp, will not drop PMI with a phone call. They only do it statutorily when you've hit 78% of the original value with the new loan. They're not in the business of canceling mortgage insurance and uh, uh, willy-nilly based on a phone call. You have to refinance to get rid of that PMI. And it may very well be, uh, that that may push you over the edge in terms of the benefit that you might Yeah, receive. that's real savings. And um, it's kind of in that subcategory of PMI, uh, anyone who's got an FHA loan that they took out in the last few years, um, if your value has increased, you're still paying PMI. And there's another one to do to consider FHA loans will have mortgage insurance essentially for as long as the loan is outstanding. How about that? Interesting. All right, you might consider refinancing. It might be worthwhile if number four, even if you pay closing costs, you may come out ahead in the long run. Peter, talk to us briefly about closing costs. Well, I, I do say in the state of Georgia, uh, compared to other states, um, there are reasonable closing costs as a percentage of the loan amount. I know we use 2% on this example, but even on a $500,000 loan on a refinance, your closing costs aren't going to be 2%. They will be less than that in the state of Georgia. But we use it because it's a simple number, um, two percent maybe on a uh, on a three hundred thousand dollar loan or a two hundred thousand dollar loan makes sense. But um, um, they can be they're typically added to the loan balance, um, so you're financing them over the term of the new loan. You can pay them in cash, although it's very rare. But those need to be considered as part of the overall analysis if you're to see if you're saving money. But uh, 2% is, is somewhat high on 500,000, but it's good for discussion purposes. Well, and, and I also want people to understand that there are very real costs associated with 
the refinancing process, we're not just taking your current loan and changing a number at the courthouse. We're starting over, right? Yeah, the governor wants his share. Your favorite closing attorney wants his share. The county courthouse, everybody sure. wants their share. Yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, uh, I hear horror stories about some states in the Northeast that have a transfer tax of one percent which is shocking to me so yeah we're we're very fortunate here that we are line. number five refinancing might make sense if and and this is more of a, a just a commentary savings are highest on balances over five hundred thousand dollars peter what has happened in the last six or eight months that people need to know about well, it happens every year, but this year is a, is a big change. The uh, conforming loan limit, which was $548,000, um, has been raised to $625,000. Conforming loans um, have good low rates as compared to jumbo loans. So if you have a jumbo loan today, um, you have a higher interest rate than a conforming loan and since conforming loans are now bigger you may want to consider refinancing that jumbo loan into a conforming loan even if you refinanced in the last 12 months and that may also be the case correct me if i'm wrong if you have a jumbo loan that is larger than the 625 because you have told me you have found certain circumstances under which you can marry a or 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 pair a conforming a maximum uh conforming loan with a secondary loan that might not have the entire term and still come out ahead of the existing jumbo loan yeah some sort of piggyback as we say it in the industry but some sort of piggyback combination of a first and a second breaking it up yeah i'm i am so glad you're doing this instead of me because i'm getting a headache just talking about it um as we say peter burke is a brilliant mortgage transaction engineer and my recommendation folks is pick up the phone call him right now 678 five five seven ninety seven fifty nine peter thank you that's my dog in the background roaring approval for peter burke at reliant mortgage <laughs> solutions peter thank you for all of your support and thanks for being here thank you everybody have a great rest of your weekend thanks john see you next week all right bye now bye bye So what am I going to do with this dog that is constantly barking during the radio show? I Something has to give. I think we need to discuss this with the dog. And we're back nope, nope, here nope, on the real estate. Past that. Um, we did have a question come into Q&A having to do specifically with, uh, do you need an LLC? And I'm just going to touch on this briefly. Um, but I do think this would be a good topic for us to uh, dive into another time, perhaps with our longtime friend Dykes Bodiford as a special guest. Dykes really is the expert when it comes to entity selection. 
Um, he has studied this stuff till he's blue in the face. And he would tell you that there's no single entity that is perfect. And not every situation calls for exactly the same uh, entity. But in general, if you own and or manage rental property anywhere, you should at least consider placing ownership of that property or of that asset into a limited liability corporation, which is an LLC. Margie and I have an ongoing battle as to whether a corporation, whether a limited liability corporation is a type of corporation. <laughs> she wants it to be a limited liability company. Okay, well, I'm sure she's right as usual, and I'm sure I'm wrong as usual. In any case, uh, whatever you call it, you should consider an LLC. How do you hold title? That's the question. And the reality is, if you talk to closing attorneys, most property owners take title by general warranty deed or limited warranty deed in their own name. Now, why is it done that way most often? One, because if there is a federally guaranteed loan involved, they require that at the time the security deed is signed, the person signing the security deed be personally entitled to the property. Now, does that make the security deed any stronger? No. Does it make the collateral any stronger? No. Why does the why does Fannie and Freddie and FHA and VA and the GSEs, why do they require this? Because they have an anti-investor bias. So how do we get around it? Well, if you need to, you can take title in your name, sign the security deed, then transfer title into the name of an entity that you have selected. Now, I have been told by attorneys, you can't do that. That's illegal. And I say, no. Can you show me where that is illegal? Well, I always thought it was. No, it's not illegal. You have the right at any time to dispose of your property. That's like saying you can't sell. You've got a mortgage on the property. Well, <laughs> that is not one of the options that the lender has. Now, they can and do consider a transfer of ownership or of beneficial interest during the time that there's an outstanding debt to be an event of default. However, they can't send two armed men with extendable batons to break your knees. All they can do is send you a letter and say it has come to our attention that you may have transferred ownership of this property from your name personally into something else. And we ask that either you resolve that 
Okay, that would be called curing the event of default or that you pay off the debt within 30 days of this notice. And in the event that you fail to cure the default in either of those ways, we reserve the right to foreclose. Now, I think it's extremely unlikely that if you have been making payments regularly on a mortgage and transferred title from your name into somebody else's name, uh, one, it's unlikely they would find out. But two, if they did, it's extremely unlikely that they would demand payment in full or threaten to foreclose. Why would they want to foreclose? They're getting paid. They're earning interest. It's like shooting themselves in the foot. Could it happen? Yes. Should you be prepared for it to happen? Yes. Is it likely to happen? No. That's just my personal experience. I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving you advice. Okay. But if you're going to talk to an attorney, at least find one that understands not what the lenders tell them, but what is the truth. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Oh, sorry. That was uh, <clears throat> Tom Cruise there for just a second. I, no, that was Jack Nicholson, wasn't it? My goodness. That was a pretty good movie anyway. Um, so why would we consider using an, an LLC or a limited liability company, as Margie likes to say? It's because there's a lot of information at the courthouse. First, the name of the owner and the mailing address. Why? Because they have to send you a tax bill every year and they use the address of the owner of record. Okay? And you can change that mailing address anytime you want without anyone's permission, and that's not a violation of the security deed. It's just notifying the county where the bill goes. Most people don't even uh, look at the bill in the mail anymore. It's all done online. But the name of the owner of record and their mailing address is public information, as is the tax assessment. Now, you and I have talked at length about how the tax assessment, uh, in many cases, is not even a pale reflection of the actual value of the property for a variety of reasons. Uh, Margie, would you remind me next week we need to start thinking about property tax reduction. Because yeah. we're going to be getting right into December here quick. Now is the time to start getting ready if you want to make a difference. Um, but that is public information. Whatever the tax assessor claims your property might be worth. Also, while the county courthouse doesn't actually have a record of the current balance of a mortgage, they do have a record of the details of the security deed, which is outstanding against the property and whether or not it has been paid off. You can research that information pretty easily. Now, does that information reflect when a mortgage has been prepaid? No. 
So if you started, if you got a 30-year fixed rate mortgage and sent in double payments, I had clients that did that one time. It was a VA loan, and they didn't ask me. They just started sending in two payments every month. Joe McKinney, Joe and Gail McKinney. You remember that, honey? Nice kids. Joe, if you're out there, give me a call someday. I'll buy you a nice cold Coca-Cola and give you my warmest personal regards. Um, they sent in two payments every month and they were stunned that their 30 year fixed rate mortgage was paid off after like 6.2 years. Um, and if anybody had gone and looked at the courthouse prior to that last payment being made, they would not have known that Joe was paying an additional full payment of principal only. The, that second payment he sent in every month went straight to principal. As a result, it really knocked down that loan fast. And I think it paid out in like six years and two months or something like that. I forget what the numbers are, but it's really remarkable. And there's no way that an investigator or you or I could have gone to the courthouse and known that Joe was paying that mortgage down faster. But what did it mean? It meant that Joe had even more equity in the property. So if I'm thinking about, should I or not sue Joe, I'm going to presume that he is paying that debt as it was written over 30 years and just calculate it based on the start date and a 30-year ammo and calculate it to current. It may be less than that, but it's extremely unlikely that it's more than that. Okay? So I'm just telling you how um, uh, personal injury attorneys come up with this information. And once you've done one, two, and three here of what you're looking at, number four is it's easy to calculate minimum equity. Now, it may be more, but there's at least this much there. And once you've figured that out, you can go through the county records and determine this guy has three houses in DeKalb, two in Fulton, two in Cobb County, and one in Fayette County. And let's add up the equity in all of those. And we now know that Joe has a net worth of at least $2 million and it's time to sue him. Why? Well, it doesn't matter. Once we find somebody with net worth of more than a million dollars, it's worth suing just because their insurance company might settle. See, you throw mud against a wall to see what sticks. That's the way these guys work. So the question is, are you worth a lawsuit? And you've got people like Robert Stack. No, that's not Robert Stack. Who is he? This is the man from Uncle, Napoleon Solo. What, what is this guy's name? Nobody knows. Anyway, he was a big deal at one time. He is now doing commercials for these uh, personal injury attorneys. And by the way, I'm not anti-personal injury attorneys. I, they have every right to conduct 
their business the way they see fit. But they're going around stirring up your tenants saying, have you been hurt in an injury or an accident in your apartment or at your rental home? Get the money you deserve. Call Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So my question to you is, if you lost everything, could you build it all back? Well, I say, yes, I could. I honestly believe that if you and I were wiped out today, we could build it all back. But do you want to give it a try? No. And the answer then is to separate your assets so that if you lost a portion of them, the others would be protected. We can't stop people from suing on an individual property, but we can stop them from lumping everything together and going after everything at one time. So what form do we take for asset protection? Well, You've heard of things like corporate shield and offshore corporations and elaborate trusts and family limited partnerships, or you could just move to Switzerland. Margie and I went to Gibraltar one time. You ought to go to Gibraltar. It's awfully, very close. It actually touches Spain, and the Spanish are very unhappy about it because they consider it part of Spain, and of course the British consider it part of Great Britain. And th there's this, the runway has the dividing line between the two countries right down the middle. Isn't that right? So when your plane lands, it like lands in Spain and then rolls over into Gibraltar. <laughs> and the, the, it's, it's very contentious. And what will happen is the Spanish when they get their feelings hurt, just shut down the highways for about 12 hours to express their displeasure. Hey, don't, but there's a lot of asset protection if you'd move to Gibraltar. It's also not an unpleasant place to be. I mean, it's very nice, actually. So, uh, but don't move to Gibraltar. What benefits do we get uh, for having an LLC in Georgia? I'm going to primarily focus on the first four here because the fifth one is deserving of an additional seminar. And we're going to take a break in just a minute. When we come back, Ian Robbins and I are going to talk about more ways to find bargain property. But real quickly, the primary benefits of placing ownership of a little rental property into an LLC by itself, not lumped in with everything else, but by itself are one, privacy. Your name need not appear on the public record. Now you may be saying, wait a minute, John, I had to go into title in order to sign the security deed. Well, that was for a period of three minutes and 47 seconds. And as long as nothing happened during that three minutes and 47 seconds for which you personally would be liable, then you're off the hook. Because any 
anybody could have been historically in the chain of title. That's not relevant. What's relevant is who owns it now or who owned it at the moment the injury or the accident or whatever it was occurred. Okay. Number two, liability protection. What an LLC does is the law says that the people that own the LLC, who are called members instead of stockholders in a S corporation or a C corp, we call them stockholders. In an LLC, we call them members, but they amount to the same thing, essentially. And the members are not liable for the debts of the company. So let's put this in super simple terms. You've got Bob's lawn mowing service. It's Bob. Bob has a lawnmower. He mows 10 lawns every Saturday. It's just Bob's lawn mowing. He is a sole proprietor. He has not done anything with telling the Secretary of State. Otherwise, he hangs out a shingle and calls himself Bob's lawn mowing service. Okay. A child, unfortunately, is involved in an accident whereby the child slipped and fell under the deck of Bob's lawnmower and was injured. And it's a very expensive injury. And I'm sorry that that happened, but that happens. Okay. And so the parents of that child decide to sue Bob's lawn mowing service, except there is no such thing as Bob's lawn mowing service. There's only Bob. And it turns out Bob is a multimillionaire and Bob has jets and he has rental properties all over the world, but he just likes to mow lawns. Guess what? They can get, because he is a sole proprietor, they can get a judgment against Bob personally against all of his assets. That's not what we want. Okay. And so what we have done here is we have now placed ownership of Bob's lawn mowing service into an LLC, which is considered a separate entity. It's not, it, it, it is no longer a sole proprietorship. It is now a living, breathing entity as far as the Secretary of State is concerned, it cost Bob, what, 125 bucks to file it or something like that, 50 bucks a year? I don't know what the numbers are, but it's not expensive. And now Bob, as a member, even if he is the sole member of the LLC, is not personally responsible for the debts of the company. And they sue the company. The company has no assets. It it uh, um, succumbs to a judgment for a half million dollars, and that's the end of the company. And it goes bankrupt or something, but Bob is unaffected. Now, you can bet they're going to try to get to Bob, and that's called piercing the corporate veil. But you've got that liability protection that separates the members from the entity, and then three, you have asset protection because 
each group of assets that Bob has chosen to separate or isolate, if you will, into its own LLC is protected against any liability that any of the others may draw. Now, those are the major benefits. I'm not going to talk today about how we maintain those, and I'm not going to talk about how a personal injury attorney would attempt to pierce the corporate veil. And there are plenty of things we can do to thwart that, but we're not going to talk about that today. And tax benefits, we really do need a tax specialist, but my understanding is generally the tax benefits are so minor as to make it not a compelling reason to create or utilize an LLC. Number one, two, and three are what you're looking at here, okay? So why don't we do this? Um, let's have our intermission. Oop, there it is. Let's have intermission, and when we come back, we are going to, um, Ian and I are going to resume a conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago talking about 27 ways to find bargain houses. And this is a really good presentation. So hang in with her. If you have any questions, type them right now into Q&A. I'll try to get to them before the end of the show. If not, it may be next week. I will see you back here in four minutes. Don't touch that dial. Ah, yes, classic scene from the Rogers and Hammerstein edition of South Pacific. If you have not read that book, it is a very interesting um, look into um, perceptions um, of racism and um, in at the end of World War II. And it calls into question things like how Americans felt at that time about Oriental people, about Asians. Um, and Mishner, ex with a full understanding of where America had been, and listen to me, it was a hard time. It was not at all sure that the United States and Great Britain would prevail against the Axis powers. And you and I might be speaking German or Japanese today, or both. So those of you that are a little bit younger that look back and, and say, well, how could we be intolerant uh, of people who happen to have an Asian background? Well, you didn't live through it. I didn't either, but I can tell you this. My mother, bless her heart, who is alive to this day, said to me, that she could never trust the Japanese again. And I don't think she was proud of that, but I think she expected me to understand it. 
And, and this movie, if you have not seen South Pacific from 1958, is well worth your time if you can find it. Great music, great songs, great lyrics, and a great story. Rogers and Hammerstein, South Pacific. All right, we are going to now resume a conversation that I had um, with Ian Robbins um, about two weeks ago. We have been on a cruise, and many of you know that last Saturday we were in Aruba or something like that. In the next week, I'm going to be sending out information to you about the cruise that we took how we liked it, what we did like, what was not up to snuff, what we're looking for, and an opportunity for you to get on a mailing list to be part of our next cruise, which is going to be in January of 2023. Not this coming January, a year from this coming January. Okay. And we will be going to, I think, the Eastern Caribbean. Margie, is that right? I don't recall. She doesn't recall. You know, we go on this same cruise every year. It's called the Real Estate Marketers Cruise. It's a great event. We have typically four to 500 people, all of whom are entrepreneurs, come together from all over the world. A lot of them invest in real estate, not all of them. Um. But it's usually a seven or eight day cruise, which is perfect. And usually it departs out of Miami, which it will next January. And we go to three or four great places. But you know what? Uh, Margie and I have been on this same cruise with these same people for about eight, seven or eight years now. And... Um, because we've been to all of these places, it just doesn't matter where we're going. We're going there for the experience, not to go to the little town. Although there are some beautiful little towns. Aruba is very nice. What is it called? Frederickstead or something like that? I don't know. I can't keep up with it. But anyway, um, if you think you might have an interest in coming along with us, this will be on Carnival. I think we're on the Carnival Freedom next year. We got a great trip this year. In fact, one of our best. Small group because of COVID, but a year and two months from now, it's not going to be, we're not going to be operating under the same threats that many people perceive that we are right now. So we'll let you know about that in the next seven days, but um, put a star on your calendar for January 23. I think it's seven or eight nights. I think it's out of Miami. I think it's Eastern Caribbean. And I know we're going to have a blast. And I would love to have you come with us. We only have room for 10 cabins for my group. If you want to be part of my group, 10 cabins. So you and I will be doing a lot of our own private training and one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm excited about that too. All right, here is the conversation that um, Ian and I had on finding bargain properties. This was has never been aired before. This is custom for you. This will be our last time together um, this week, 
And when we get to the end, I'll come on and say so long, everybody, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Margie, you may seize control and start the video. The Real Estate Coffee Break. John Adams with you. My special guest, Ian Robbins, my evil twin, who, uh, along with uh, uh, and me, brings you to trust, truth, justice, and the American way of making money week after week, month after month, year after year. Ian, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, John. So good to see you. You're looking very dapper as usual. Well, thank you. Uh, somebody wrote in last week and said, why do you always wear a white shirt with a red tie? I replied, I only have one of each. So, you know, just every week. No, that's not true at all. Trying to look like a corporate CEO. How about that? Um, you and I are going to talk over the next uh, 30 to 60 minutes about 27 ways to find bargain properties. And this is a little bit of a challenge right now because we are in, well, I've been doing this 40 years now. First property I bought was when I was in class with Dr. Jack Andrews, better known as JJ, uh, the Emory Business School, uh, your professor as well. And um, I was a sophomore, which would have been 1974. And here we are in um, 2021. I don't know how many years that is, but it's a lot. <laughs> and I'm not sure that there has been, Ian, a, a time for investors who are looking for that bargain house that will make a good little rental property. I, it, it is very challenging and extreme with our very special guest, Ian Robbins, who, by the way, is um, president for life of the Georgia RIA Landlord Subgroup at Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. And uh, Ian, say just a bit about Georgia RIA, because there's some people listening or watching right now who are saying, what the heck is Georgia RIA? It sounds like a a, a digestive disorder. I've got Georgia RIA. Uh, what is it? Uh, Georgia RIA is an outstanding uh, learning location where you can be with like-minded investors, all different types of investing. I happen to be honored to work with the landlords, but there's all different types of uh, investing options for you to check out. And um, please go to georgiaria.org. That's G-A-R-E-I-A dot O-R-G. And it's the Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. And it's it's just a group of guys and gals who are interested in learning more about investing in real estate. Uh, I don't recommend going there and buying a $25,000 seminar, but I don't mind telling you that when I first got invested, it was a group that later became Georgia RIA. And it was the Robert Allen Nothing Down seminar that I took that just changed my life. So uh, I, uh, I've got a soft spot in my heart, but I love uh, uh, in-person seminars and webinars. I just, I enjoy talking to people. So number six, we're well, talking about- Those of you who are listening around Georgia and around the country, uh, there are different RIAs all over the place. And um, I think, John, you've been honored to speak all over Georgia, different RIAs, haven't you? I, 
I have. I have. Uh, it, it the the smallest I ever spoke to was the Goshen Investors Group. In I think there are like three members, and they invited me to speak. And I accidentally said yes, and so I ended up doing a forty-five minute presentation for three people. But they were very enthusiastic. So okay. uh, what can I say? But. There are groups of people, as Ian used the phrase like-minded, which doesn't mean everybody thinks the same. It means these are people who are interested in learning more about a particular topic. And, and in our case, it's usually real estate investing. So, um, and you can learn a lot from other people because they may be at a different stage than you are You've had life experiences they haven't had. Um, Ian, I don't know about you, but I will share with you my experience over the years in this business is that as a group, real estate investors tend to be very generous at sharing their experiences with other people. Have you found yes. that to be the case? Absolutely. And I, I so much appreciate when I can call somebody either for a vendor or when I'm in a problem and they'll stop what they're doing and get me what I need and keep moving. And it's, it's really been incredible. Well, you had mentioned one person that has been particularly helpful to me is our mutual friend, Steve Jordan. Uh, one, Steve is a wealth of information, but two, he's a really nice guy and, and goes out of his way to help less experienced investors. Um, take advantage of his experience, his contacts, his information, and his advice. And just because he's been doing it a long time doesn't mean he's perfect. He's not. Uh, he's a lot closer to perfect than I am. But nonetheless, I think he is an example of the, the, the best of what real estate investors have to offer. So, Steve Jordan, we salute you. All right. We're talking about uh, 27 different ways to find bargain properties in today's market. We did one through five last week. Let's dive right in on number six. And Ian, you know, I have no love lost for Zillow. I'm right. a realtor. I think Zillow is trying to run me out of business. Um, they, they want to cut out realtors entirely and just take over. Um, I'm not real happy about that, but they have one thing that, NAR does not have, and that is for sale by owners. Zillow includes for sale by owners. Now, not all of them. The for sale by owner, the owner has to initiate um, wanting to put their home onto the Zillow platform. But I'm, I'm going to suggest that a little more than half actually do. Um, sellers aren't stupid. And they find out that this is available and it doesn't cost them anything. And uh, they can put their house up there and they will get access to lots of buyers um, who may be working with a realtor. But if the realtor says, oh, I'm not going to show that, that's for sale by owner. The buyer says, to heck with you. I'm going to go look at this house. And it puts realtors in a very awkward position. However, for those of us who are investors, the for sale by owner is a very lucrative source. It is somebody who um, 
may owe so much on the property that they don't think they can afford to even pay a commission. It is somebody who may have had a bad experience with real estate agents in the past and has vowed never again to work with an agent. It's somebody who um, probably does not have access to all the tools that a real estate professional would in terms of home valuation. And the fact that it's a for sale by owner and that I find out about it allows me to move quickly to make an offer and try to solve whatever problem that seller has. Ian, have you ever bought a for sale by owner or all of your stuff been listed? Um, it hasn't been listed. It, it was about to be listed, but it, so I can't tell you it was uh, for sale by owner, but I will tell you that some for sale by owners fall into those categories. Other for sale by owners think they're going to save money from the commission. Um, I don't think that's enough, enough juice, if you will, um, for a good enough deal, but it's a starting point. Uh, you never know until you find out. So you have to ask, why are they a for sale by owner? Exactly. And, you know, 7% is 7%. I have found that on for sale by owners, um, the buyer wants the 7%, the seller wants the 7%, then you split it. And next thing you know, you've got it sliced into a thousand pieces. So that doesn't work out. But that's one reason I like Zillow. Also, Zillow allows me to select target neighborhoods. You remember we had that map up. You can do exactly the same thing in Zillow and tell it anything that comes on the market, whether it's for sale by owner, whether it's listed, whether it is a tax sale, whatever it is, the second it gets on the computer system, send me a notice, okay? And you'll get these emails in the middle of the night. Why people put their property on at three o'clock in the morning, I don't know, but it happens. And so it keeps you up to date in a narrow targeted area or as big an area as you want. You can tell Zillow, I want notification, instant notification for the entire state of Georgia. Doesn't bother them. All they're doing is sending you an email. Okay, you're gonna be getting a lot of email, but I recommend you target better than that. I love Zillow, Zillow. I love Zillow because I can create these instant alert emails and it gives me an advantage over somebody who's driving around looking for a for sale by owner sign. It also allows me, Zillow allows me to um, gather the names and phone numbers of agents that work in that area because they probably know what's coming on the market. And if I can tell them ahead of time what it is I'm looking for, and offer to not take part of their commission. In other words, let them act as bird dogs and be paid by the seller, um, even if they're not the listing broker, I want them working for me. And it allows me to target the agents that I talk to. Um, <clears throat> in addition to for sale by owners, Ian, they've got a thing called make me move where people who are, eh, they're not really excited about selling, but if they got a good price, they might. Why the heck not? You know those people are thinking about possibly moving 
under certain terms and conditions. Why not follow up on that? It's worth an email, isn't it? So, so make, yeah, make me move is something to think about. And I will say this, um, in Georgia, we are blessed to have two um, multiple listing services. I say blessed. Um, it is a ripoff of the agents and a ripoff of consumers. We don't need to. Um, a Georgia MLS is owned by the DeKalb Board of Realtors. It's a nonprofit, I think. And first multiple listing service is owned by certain brokers and stockholders in mostly in Georgia. And um, by having a completely duplicated set of information, it's just completely wasteful. And they do it because it generates a lot of money. And I understand that. But I just wish we didn't have to. But anyway, the multiple listing services generally have more detailed and better quality information than does Zillow. And that's not always the case, but that has been my experience in general. So I'd love for you to have access to both. Do not trust county records. One of the first houses I ever bought, Ian, um, it said it had 1,300 square feet. I bought the house. I measured it. It had 880 square feet. Crazy. I, I'd already bought it. I mean, what was I going to do? I tried to, you know, make lemonade out of lemons, but don't, if, don't trust what the county says. Whoever filled out that property record data never saw the house. They've never been there, probably. And... and, and and John, you're all right. I get my, uh, you know, tax uh, bills all the time or my my appraisals. And, I, and because you've taught this community not to trust county records, I think about you every time when I open up those envelopes. I do wonder, but I know that the house is worth a lot more. And I'm sort of pleased in one way because, of course, the taxes are lower. So that's a good thing. Plus, I believe they also... Isn't it like every three years that they get reappraised, John? Is that how that works? They're supposed to, but they are doing what's called a community appraisal. So in other words, it is not focused on any individual house, but on an area. And the whole area jumps by a certain percentage with the exception of homes that have sold within the last three years or have had construction permits filed. Right. And don't okay. you teach a seminar on how to get I your do. I, I, I do. It's um, how to appeal your property taxes in Georgia. And I have, you know, it's such a joy to me, Ian, when somebody will come up to me and say, you know what, uh, thanks to you, I saved $3,000 on property taxes over the last three years because under Georgia law, once a valuation is set um, by the Board of Equalization or a higher level, which would be the Superior Court, um, that is the valuation for that year and for the next two tax years. So in essence, you're frozen for three years. And even if the value doubles, they can't go up for the next two years unless, of course, um, I sold to somebody 
those people would, they could uh, go in and raise it for new owners. Or if I filed a permit to do a major renovation or construction on the property, in which case they could raise it. But other than that, you know, somebody gets a savings of a thousand dollars in and it's set by the board, the BOE, bingo, they got $3,000 in savings and they feel pretty good about it. So that's a tremendous use of time uh, per hour. That's Wow, just learning about it and then executing is well spent money. And John, I appreciate this slide because you know we were talking about making 50 to 100 offers a week. I could just imagine with these alerts, when they come in, you have a way of looking at it, quick and dirty, fill out the form, send them a, um, an offer right away. You have no idea what their motivation is, That's what's right. going on in their life. And you don't have to try to think about what's going on. You just have to put an offer in front of them and that's that's very important because you're exactly and, and you're letting you're letting them decide rather than me putting my um uh thick glasses on and saying i'm going to look at this through john adams glasses um they they have different you know we're all different and we have different motivations and let them decide number seven is create a website I have never done this, but people that have tell me they get leads. Um, and you just put on the website, it says, we buy houses for cash in DeKalb County, Cobb County, Fulton County, Fayette County, uh, Cherokee County, blah, 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 blah. And the idea is that somebody is going into Google and they're just entering um, sell your house fast Fayette County, Georgia. And all of a sudden this website pops up and there it is. You can do this for free folks. Uh, I'm going to give you a, um, a resource right now. Write this down. Wix.com. It's W I X.com. And Wix allows you to build very nice websites for free, which is pretty cool. Now, they, they will not give you for free a domain name. So if you want a domain name that says we buy houses uh, alpharetta.com or we buy houses georgia.net or something like that, first you have to go search for it and second you have to pay for it. But once you have that domain, you can have it point to your Wix website for free, and you can have pictures, you can have discussions, you can have letters, all kinds of fun things. And this is what, what we call passive work. Uh, people are searching on these search terms. They might as well come to you. And so the address is Wix.com. It's a very highly rated do-it-yourself website builder. Um, and that way you can use social media. You can use YouTube and Facebook to tell people we sell house, uh, we buy houses in whatever, we buy houses in the Macon metro area. We buy houses in Augusta. Um, and people will, will click and fill out a form that says, I'm thinking about selling my house. Please contact me. Uh, you could, um, um, create an ebook called How to Sell Your House As Is, and they'd have to give you their name and a contact 
either email address or a phone number, and they get a free special report. Uh, get the cash you need fast. You remember that stuff we put on the business card? Now yep. we're putting it on the website. Same thing. Tell them what you can do for them. I can close within seven days. You won't pay a commission, blah, 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 blah. Number eight, Ian, did you know Craigslist was still around? At one time, Craigslist was one of the most constantly visited sites on the internet, and they are really falling out of favor now. And it's, it is, um, there's a variety of reasons, but Zillow has sort of supplanted them in the real estate field. Even so, a huge number of people advertise their homes on Craigslist. And part of the reason is it's free and they're used to doing it. So you can run a Houses Wanted ad and simply direct them to your website. But one piece of advice, if you do this and somebody contacts you, get back to them quickly. Absolutely. So, and you know what? I remember I've heard stories, John, where somebody calls in the morning, maybe goes out to lunch and doesn't wait to call them to the afternoon, call back in the afternoon and the house is gone. So uh, you got to call quickly. You think you're being too aggressive, but you're not. In this world today, uh, speed is very important. Something to reach out to them and get well, that and, dialogue started. And, and remember, as Ian talked about, we're looking for motivated sellers. If they're that highly motivated that they've already contacted you, they may also be motivated enough to contact the next person. Absolutely. So, stop so, them from calling the next person. Exactly. Get right back to them. Number nine, yellow direct mail. I'll be honest with you, Ian. I did a lot of this over the years. The problem with it now is how expensive it has become. And I think a first class stamp, and we always used commemorative stamps because they looked a little more personal than just a uh, cheapo stamp, but I believe, tell me if I'm right or wrong, is first class mail 55 cents now? I don't know, and I don't think most of our listeners know, but I think the most brilliant thing the, uh, the Postal Service did, as you show there on the slide, it's the forever stamp. So if you bought a stamp in 2018, even though it's gone up, you could still use it. They figured that one out. Remember, we used to have numbers on the stamps. Oh, oh yeah. Then you'd have to go in and buy a bunch of penny stamps, and that's just crazy. Um, I, I think you're right. These are effective. And the reason I say yellow direct mail is what we used to do. I would buy bulk yellow paper that I could run through the copy machine. And we would buy bulk yellow envelopes. And the reason we bought yellow is it just stood out like a sore thumb. And I don't know about you, but today, if we get any mail at all, it's almost all bills or junk mail. Right. And, and even the bills are pushing to come by email because it's so um, much more effective and faster, but nonetheless, Yellow envelopes and yellow paper works. You can throw in a postcard or a business card. I would not mail cards that had the, the information 
on them that we talked about on the business cards earlier. I not a postcard because there you are running the risk of a, a neighbor seeing that and embarrassing the person who's receiving it. So uh, remember to be um, sensitive there, not to put somebody in an awkward position. But we would hand address and sign these things. 20, 25 years ago, when the postage was 15 and 18 cents, this made more sense than it does today at 55 cents. So certainly worth a try, but this is quite expensive in today's market. Ian, do you ever do door knocking? I sure do, John, and I want to thank you because I know that we, we talk a lot about landlording and this part is about finding properties, but it relates because uh, one thing I do is before I buy a house is I took your advice and go five houses in either direction. And you'd be surprised what you can learn from the neighbors because they're going to tell you so much about the neighborhood, but they're also going back to what we're talking about here in marketing. They'll tell you what's for sale. And if you have that question available and saying, do you know of anyone else who's selling a property, even though I'm looking at that property down the street, uh, you'll be surprised you might find another property. And that has happened to me. It has happened to me too. And, and what we have done is we'll wear khaki slacks, a light blue shirt, and we will take our driver's license and actually put it in a plastic um, see-through clip pouch, which you can get for a dollar each at uh, Walmart. So it looks like, I mean, it's just your driver's license, but it looks like you're an okay employee of something. And on Saturday morning between 10 and 2, just and take a clipboard with you, wearing your driver's license, knock on the door and say, hey, we're doing a quick neighborhood survey and you're offering uh, uh, $1 in cash for a 60-second survey. People will flip. They want to do it for a dollar. Yep. And, sure and uh, so carry your clipboard and ask these questions. One, what do you like most about this neighborhood? Number two, what do you like least about this neighborhood? Number three, do you rent or own? Number four, if you rent, how much is the rent? And number five, do you know anybody in this neighborhood who may be thinking about selling in the next 12 to 18 months. And they're liable to say, oh, the people four doors down, the Johnsons, they were arrested. The man was arrested last week for beating his wife, and she said she was going to divorce him and sell the house. That's great information to have. So this That's is the way Ian's exactly right. Just set aside three or four hours knocking on doors, go up and down and conduct a neighborhood survey. What are you out at the, at the end of four hours? You're out 30 or $40 and you've got a treasure trove of information that only the neighbors would have. Margie says- well, John, there's, there's one more thing about the door knocking that it goes a little further than that. So I do a lot of my repairs that I can do. And yeah. my point of saying that about this slide is uh, last week, I was trying to borrow a ladder. Uh, couldn't get that ladder to the property, but I knew I could find one in the area. That made me knock on a lot of doors because of what you're teaching. And if you're hungry and you have your radar up, you can still say, can I borrow your ladder? And by the way, is it, tell them what you're doing. Who do you know that's selling a house in this neighborhood? And right. if you have a 
uh, uh, like you said, uh, an arrest down the street and you find out about it happened last night, you have just found a lead and maybe a ladder. And, and well, and the point here is that things like this happen in in America. I mean, people get into domestic arguments. Anyway, we got to move. Um, do you know anyone who might be selling in the next 12 to 24 months? That's the key, because if they say yes, you need to zero in on that bit of information. Number 11, bird dogs. And I'm not talking about going out and getting a coon hunting dog. What am I talking about here, Ian? Pay them to bring out your leads from all different types of people. And if people see there's money, they'll keep their eyes open and you'll get uh, people that will call you because they want the money. And what we're talking about are folks like pizza delivery kids or the grocery delivery. Anybody who is making deliveries in a finite um, geographical area so that they see it again and again on a regular basis. And what I say to them is uh, take a cell phone photo. If it's for sale by owner, if it's tall grass, if the house appears to be abandoned or the house looks like it really needs repair, take a cell phone photo, text me the email address, and I'll pay you $5 for that lead. You get a $100 bonus if I end up buying the house. And that has worked for me. You got to track these people down. But once you find them, um, they're wide open to doing this kind of work for you. By the way, the mailman is not supposed to do this. Ian, I've only one time co-opted a mailman into doing this for me. He was sort of looking around like, yeah, I think I can do it. Uh, he didn't want anybody to see him doing it. But <laughs> uh, they, don't, know. they know what's going on for sure. That's, that's oh, they do. They do. And they know the forwarding address and all that stuff. So if you can get the government working for you, that's real good. Let's forge on to number 12. I've never used bandit signs. I just, I, I'm not opposed to them. I just haven't done it. Ian, have you? Oh, absolutely, John. And I will tell you that I've taken it to a new level, thanks to you. So just to keep it real simple, um, uh, I've now gotten to a point where I put up a prop. When I uh, am renting a house, I want to know more about what's going on in the area. Even though I'm using the internet, I want to be boots on the ground. So I use banded signs. But just today, um, I rented a house but I still have the signs out there and I don't have time to get it. But I call it a talking sign. And really thanks to the landlord survival guide and me waking up to Google voice, I turned it into a, by the this house is no longer available. By the way, do you know anyone who's looking to sell a house? And who knows, they're going to call the number anyway until I get to pull up the sign. Yep. I might get a lead. And it yep. costs me nothing except a few minutes to change the talking sign. This, it's, you know, you're talking today, the bandit signs are usually about 12 inches by 18 inches across. And I saw them today on Amazon. I think it was 50 signs with stakes. And you may not need stakes. If you're going to nail them to a, a, um, a mailbox, I mean, to a, um, a telephone pole, which is also illegal, um, you don't need stakes. But the point here is it was 
between a dollar fifty and two dollars each. So we're not talking about a lot of money. And if you get any response at all, the thing's paid for itself. And number John, third, I, go ahead. I'm serious. I was in Buckhead. I was in a very exclusive place in Buckhead. I'm sitting on the corner waiting for an appointment. And I'll never forget this guy pulled up with a pretty much we buy houses van. And he was doing some other business, but he saw an opportunity and he was so prepared. He took a tool and got way high on a, on a tree and put it <laughs> so high in this very exclusive multi-million dollar area. And I was floored and I just watched him do everything. And I, I almost gave him a round of applause for his career. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll bet you, uh, I'll bet you that sign's still there. But, you know, the point is having the signs when you need them and then get them out there, uh, the higher you can get them, the better, the more I like it. Number 13, you can search on keywords in Google and come up with opportunities like fixer upper, great potential, handyman special, as is. And by the way, we need to do a show in on as is the realtors have come to the conclusion that it's against Georgia law to sell a house as is when of course it is not, but that's what they want you to believe. Um, no disclosure. I love buying a house with no disclosure because that means there's probably something wrong with it. And I'm just the guy to solve their problem or search on the keyword needs repairs or termite damage. You know, Excellent. termite damage can be so minor that it's there's just nothing to it, and yet people are frantic. So they make great little rental houses. Ian, you were going to say something. Well, I just think going back to what we talked about, sea houses, how are we going to do that 50 to 100 a week? Boy, can you imagine doing that search, and you'll come up with even more homes. And you, you, you're right. If you find someone with termite damage, they're all freaked out. It's really no big deal. So you it, can sell you know, it. It depends on the house. I always say about termites, Georgia is the mecca of the termite world. And by that, I mean, uh, as, as Muslims are drawn to Mecca, termites worldwide are drawn to Georgia, and they have to go on a uh, once-in-a-lifetime journey to Georgia eat a house, and then they can go back to where they came from fulfilled. We've got a lot of termite problems here, but it doesn't mean that the house no longer has any value. 14, we're not going to make it to 27, Ian. Let's keep going a little bit. Um, how do you gather 100 leads a week? Well, I say all sources count. So you're pulling in Zillow leads. You're pulling in bird dog leads for sale by owners that you have found in Zillow or seen signs and so on and so on and so on. And then I use Google Street View to examine the house and the neighborhood. Now remember, some areas of um, Google Street View are updated more often than others. So if you look in the lower right-hand corner, you may see that the pictures are several years old. Take those pictures with a grain of salt. But chances are pretty good that the neighborhood still looks about the same. It's very unusual to have a complete neighborhood change. 
And that way you don't even have to go there and see if it might be something that you're interested in. Certainly no war zones. And at that point, I think it's worth driving to and seeing 20. So if you get what looked like the top 20, I love it if you can hit an open house. Um, I love it if you can see the house. Vacant homes are easy. You can look in the windows and figure out what's going on. Uh, if you have an agent friend, you can use them to get in a lockbox. Uh, you can also become what's called an unlicensed personal assistant to a real estate agent, meaning you don't have to have a license, and yet you get a key and you get access to the entire MLS computer system. Why would they allow you to be an unlicensed personal assistant to do research? Why would an agent allow you to be their unlicensed personal assistant? Because you agree to buy anything you find through them, through them. How about that? Cost them nothing and gives you access to all the tools that most investors do not have. Use Google Maps to optimize your drive so you're not driving over and back and forth and uh, allows you to avoid traffic as well. And then make 15 offers out of those 20 that you found. And here's how we're going to do it. Ian, we're going to have to stop in just a second. If there's any chance that you might want to own that house under some terms and conditions, go ahead and make the offer. Obtain the contact information and start dripping. And, and drip mail is where you're sending maybe once a week, maybe once a month. Um, if they reject your offer and you see it's still for sale, just start sending them an email once every two or three weeks saying, hey, are you still interested in selling? Because I'm still interested in buying. And we're going to use Google Docs, which is the same program almost as Microsoft Word. We're going to be using Google Docs to send a non-binding letter of intent to the seller or the listing agent. Now, what is a non-binding letter of intent? Well, the reason I recommend this, Ian, I don't know if you have seen the current Georgia Association of Realtors uh, purchase and sale agreement is about 36 pages long. By the time you add a lead-based paint disclosure, a seller's property disclosure, a contingency for inspection, and all these other things that the boys at NAR want to jam onto people to make it appear that realtors are adding value to the transaction. I am concerned about that because I think it makes agents feel like they are junior lawyers. And we're not lawyers. We have no business writing contracts. We are not allowed to give legal advice, and I just see it all too often. And so what I like, and I wrote this myself as a non-binding letter of intent, it, intent, it has been approved by real estate attorneys, and this is used all the time in commercial real estate. Did you know that? I did not, John. In commercial, um, 
if if I were going to sell you the Sears Tower in Chicago, okay? The con just putting the contract together might cost a million dollars. Whereas if you have no intention of selling under any circumstances, why should I invest a million dollars just to make right. you an offer? So this is what happens in commercial. And it's basically a simple statement that says, Ian, I see you've got a piece of property. If you have an interest in selling it, I have an interest in buying it. If you were to sell it under these terms and conditions, I would be interested in making an offer. Here's what I'm willing to offer. Here's when I want to close it. Here's how I'm going to pay for it. And here's what I do want to do an inspection and we can close by such and such a date. Let me know what you think. Now that's not an offer and it's not a contract. It's just a letter, but it does say I do intend to buy it if you're so inclined. And what we are doing is trying to find motivated sellers. And so we're looking for somebody who can afford to be flexible on their price or their terms or both in order to achieve their goal. Let me show you what this letter looks like. And this is an actual piece of it. And the first question I always get, Ian, is, uh, is this a binding contract? <laughs> Right. It says right there, non-binding. What are the first two words at the top of this letter? Non-binding. And it says the purpose of this letter is to set forth some of the basic and ter basic terms and conditions of the proposed purchase by the undersigned buyer of certain real estate owned by you. The terms set forth in this letter will not become binding um, until a more detailed purchase and sale agreement is negotiated and signed by the parties as contemplated below by the section of this letter entitled non-binding. <laughs> and so, so well written, and it's very clear that this is you stepping up and, and there's two words, John, thank you, because you're giving your audience not only ideas, something they can do, chipping away at it, and now you've given them the next step. They can send this out. And of course, they're going to say, my realtor has to look this over. That's not the point. The point is, you're saying, here's your address. We're, we're talking about the right house. Here's the price. Of course, it's too low. In fact, it should be embarrassing low. Thank and if you. not, then we shouldn't be investing. Possession. And I could just see someone say, well, you can't buy my house on December 1st, but you could buy it on December 15th. So I'm so. excited. By the way, John, my, my, my computer, a little technical difficulty here. I'm about to run out of juice, which I had a lot, but it's going down quick. So if I lose you, it's, that's why. That's uh, no problem. Is, uh, we are going to stop right here because I know somebody is going to call me and say, hey, hey, can I get a free copy of the non-binding letter of intent? The answer is no, but you can get it uh, as one of the products that I have at realestatecoffeebreak.com and realestate um, uh, uh, money99.com. Money wow. 
and it will be also in the landlord survival guide starting um, immediately as part of that package as well. And, and you're welcome to go to your attorney and say, can you write a non-binding letter of intent? They'll say, sure, they're going to charge you $500 for this. So, yep. um, and the other thing is, if the seller says, wait, I want to use a realtor, that's fine. I'm happy to cooperate with other realtors, and I'm happy for them to earn a commission. I'm not trying to um, um, steal from anybody else here. I just want to find out if the seller is highly motivated. Ian, we've run out of time. And next week, um, we're just going to have to finish this up in person. Is that okay? That would be fine, John. All right. Fantastic. Folks, we uh, appreciate the time that you have made available to us, but we're going to come back next week and start right back here with the non-binding letter of intent. Ian and I will go into more detail on that, and then we'll cover the remainder of the 27 ways of finding bargain property before the end of this year. Ian, is it possible if somebody took all of these ideas that they could buy a house before New Year's Day? Absolutely, John. I think there's a lot of motivated sellers out there. I think you're exactly right. Ian, thanks a lot. See you real soon, okay? You bet. Thank you, John. Bye, everybody. All right, everybody. It is one o'clock, and you know what that means? It means it's time for us to go. Ian and I will be back next week. Uh, we've got a lot of neat things coming up dealing with real estate, investing. Um, want to remind you, we have a cruise scheduled for late January 2023, which is a long time from now. Um, Wait a minute, let's stop the screen share. Oh, let's see here. Pause recording. I don't know how to share the screen and I don't know how to stop it. Uh, this will stop. Do you want to continue? Yes. Okay, very good. Here we go. And um, folks, I just want you to know we had a great time. I know a lot of you were concerned about the fact that we were going on a cruise. Margie and I, and I believe strongly that every American citizen and every person in the world that has access to it should make their own personal decision regarding getting a vaccine uh, in consultation with their own physician. I don't think that should be coming from the government, but that's neither here nor there, just where we are. Uh, Margie and I have both had our two Pfizer shots each, and we've had the booster, and we went ahead while we were at it and got the um, 2022 flu shot. So, buddy, we are shot up over here. But anyway, we had to do all that in order to get on the cruise ship, and... Um, Two days before debarking, we had to go to a quickie embarking. Oh, okay, right. Em before we got on the ship, <laughs> we, we had to go to a little quickie dock center, you know, a, a urgent medical or something. And they did a, 
uh, nasal swab test, which frankly wasn't much fun, but it only lasts about five seconds. So by the time you figure out what's going on, they're done uh, to prove that we did not have COVID and, or they wouldn't let us on the ship. So, uh, and everybody had to do that. So we felt pretty confident getting on the ship. I can tell you this, the internal procedures that the people are utilizing, at least on Carnival, and I suspect on all of the lines that are owned by Carnival, which are, are like most of them, very strict and very stringent. Uh, even so, they did a great job of making it like a regular uh, cruise. I mean, we had a, a lot of fun. The food was good. It was not great. Uh, it was good. We went to, and they had a good variety. Um, we did go to the private steakhouse one night, which I think was an upgrade of maybe like 35 or $40 a person. Really good. I had the nine ounce filet. It would just melt in your mouth. I mean, it was prime. Um, we went to the upgraded Italian one night, which I think was only 20 bucks a head or something like that. It was delicious. If you like Italian food, we love Italian food. So uh, that was worthwhile. And um, obviously you got, you know, all the lobster you can eat, all that stuff was in the main dining room. Very nice. And we just had a good time. But the most fun was being reunited with our group um, that we haven't seen in two years because last year they canceled the cruise because of COVID, which is understandable. So anyway, we would love to have you come with us um, in January of 23. And if you're interested, we watch your mailbox this week. We'll be getting something out to you. All right, folks, guess what? I have shared the screen. Here we go. Well, that's a 3-0 Mark IV. The WGST, no, it's not. <laughs> the Real Estate Coffee Break is the John Adams Radio Show. And this is John Adams on behalf of my evil twin, Ian Robbins, reminding you that your financial future is not a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. Take your choice, good one. So long, everybody. <laughs>